The word of our Lord from the Old Testament prophet Obadiah. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother, in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Now the word of our Lord from the Gospel of John. These are the words of Jesus. Actually, we're in chapter 13. Sorry about that. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat back down again, Jesus said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you also do them. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. We pray that you'll bless it to our hearts to our lives. And Lord, we pray that you would minister to us as your people through your word. And we pray all this in your son's precious name. Amen. The cross is all about others. Christ died not to save himself or even to benefit himself but to redeem the world, others, to rescue it, to rescue them from sin and self. We are invited to the cross in order to die to self. But this business of dying to self is really about getting beyond ourselves and out into the great wide world of others. You see, when God becomes the center of our universe, we find our neighbor to be of the utmost importance. This includes even our enemies, as Jesus told us, but it especially involves our friends. 
Why are we invited to the cross? We're invited to the cross in order to die to self, or in a word, to be crucified. That's what happens at a cross. Crucifixion. Death. But we're also invited to the cross in order to be crucified to the world, as Paul said. Interesting choice of words that Paul uses in his letter, those closing verses of his letter to the Galatians. I have been crucified to the world, and the world has been crucified to me. The world cannot be saved apart from one who is willing to be crucified for it and to it. The hope of the world is in one who will empty himself of all but love and die for the world. You see, no one approaches the cross alone. No one. We do not come to the cross alone. But wait a minute. I thought that the cross means suffering, rejection, and abandonment, pastor, you might say. Does it not? Last week, indeed, I said that to be crucified means to be abandoned, to be alone. And yes, indeed, it does. Which is why, paradoxically, we cannot and we dare not approach the cross alone. We need others. We need the strength that others provide. We need the security, the accountability that others provide. And we need those others for whom we are giving ourselves and for whom we ourselves have been crucified to the world. No one approaches the cross alone. The fact is that you can't do this on your own. What's more, you weren't meant to do this alone. As John Wesley said, there's no such thing as isolated Christian faith. There is only Christian faith in community. God didn't plan for us to be alone. It was when Adam was alone that God said, this is not good. Even the companionship of the animals as Adam gave names to each one, was not enough. No, there is no such thing as isolated Christian faith. 
There is no such thing as Christian faith by myself on an island untouched by others, unaffected by others. And that's kind of a good and a bad because the effect of others can sometimes rub up against us in a way that we don't particularly like. Their annoyances, their aggravations, their idiosyncrasies, the way they do things, the way they talk, the way they look or the way they smell sometimes. The lack of tact and taste that they might have. But God uses that friction for our sakes and for theirs. See, we are invited into the fellowship of the cross. Not the individuality of the cross, but the fellowship of the cross. And what does this community look like? This fellowship of the cross. What does it appear as? It looks like a band of brothers, so to speak. I was thinking, ladies, that band of brothers is kind of gender one-sided and gender presumptive, I guess. But I thought, you know, y'all can have a, a sect of sisters, maybe, or sisters if you wanted to, you know, add a, add a little spice to it. But that's what the Fellowship of the Cross looks like. You know what a band of brothers is? It's a, a, a group of friends that can say anything to each other. It's a group of friends that even if you offend me or make me angry, that's fine because I'll get over it. Because we're not going anywhere. We're in this thing together to the end. David, I've been doing a lot. I'm going to lean on you today. This is the second time you've gotten mentioned from up here. David, that's the third time if anyone's keeping score now. I've been thinking an awful lot about Wesley and the way he did ministry. And you know an awful lot about his classes and bands. And we hear those terms we think, what in the world is a okay, class? Maybe, okay, they get together and they study together or learn together. Well, what in the world's a band? Are they playing music? Nope, they weren't playing music. But the classes and bands that Wesley ingeniously put together for the people called Methodists, the classes were what we would consider a small group somewhere between 12 to maybe 14 or, or more people. But they got together not just to study together, not just to study Scripture together. The chief question that they would ask each other, and, and each the classes and the bands all had a whole list of questions and very probing, very uncomfortable questions to have to answer. But the chief question for the, those small group class meetings of men and women together was how is it with your soul that's a hard question to answer sometimes how 
is it with your soul? Who are you on the inside? Yes, have you read this week's lesson? Yes, have you read the scriptures? Yes, have you been praying faithfully? Have you been attending faithfully? Have you been worshiping with your family? Those are very important questions because they reveal the condition of our souls. But how is it with your soul? We, each and every one of us, need to hear the voice of another human person who can look us in the eyes from time to time and say, how is it with your soul? The good news is that the more often we hear that, the less likely it is that we have to say not good. We need that sort of of interrogation, so to speak. But we can only find that and we can only find the healing that comes in those moments of transparency if we submit ourselves to it. It can't be forced. But David, those were the, uh, those were the classes. The bands were smaller groups. Very intimate groups. And women would band together with women and men would band together with men. And those bands might be three to four people, not very many more. And the chief question that they would ask one another as they met every few days or every couple of weeks was an even harder question to have to look another person in the eye and answer. What sins have you committed since we last met? That's a hard question to answer. Perhaps in our culture, we'd say, that's crazy. Why in the world would somebody be a part of that? Well, now you see why we're in the state we're in. Because none of us want to allow anyone to get that close to us. We want to keep ourselves guarded and protected, and we want no one to know what's going on with us. Because somehow we think... I only answer to God. And as that hilarious, crazy meme from Jersey Shore says, that ought to scare you. Only God can judge you? You really want to face judgment at the end without some sort of training and prep work beforehand? What sins have you committed since we last met? We all, every last one of us, need someone that is so close to us that they can meddle. Hey man, I noticed that you're 
eyes wander a good bit, particularly toward this appearance of a person. What's with that? What's going on at home? I've been noticing you seem awfully angry lately. Let's talk. What's happening down in that heart? See, we're offered hope for the condition of our souls and we're offered hope for those sins that might beset us on this journey toward the cross. As we fellowship together, we find that that hope comes from a place that we might not often think of. The Apostle James told us where that hope is. He said, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. I don't confess my sins to anyone. Only God is my priest. I'm a priest for my own self. Well, tell that to James. Confess your sins to one another. Sometimes we need to get things out in the clear light, the clear and healing light of the day. And sometimes we need to hear the voice of another person saying, Christ forgives you. You know Christ forgives you. Now don't go down that road again. You see this fellowship of the cross. It looks like the few who bind themselves together declaring to one another I'll fight hell with you my friend together we will fight the hell that is before us and together we will fight the hell that is within us you will not die on my watch you may fall and I may have to drag you part of the way but together by God's grace we will make it together That's what the fellowship of the cross looks like. The type of people who will do hard things to serve one another. The type of people who will say hard things to strengthen one another. The fellowship of the cross, this community, it is the community wherein we are our brother's keeper. It's a community in which we are responsible to one another, where we'll fight for one another, where we will give an account before God ourselves for how we related to and fought for one another. Obadiah is a very obscure prophet in the Old Testament. We, uh, most of us know very little about him or his message. If you look at the early verses of Obadiah, you'll find he's writing to Edom. Who's Edom? 
Who are the Edomites? They're the descendants of Esau. Brothers and sisters. Cousins. Relatives of Jacob's descendants. The Israelites. And if you read through these few verses of the prophet Obadiah, you'll find that his prophecy to the Edomites is scathing because they stood and watched while their brothers and sisters fell. While their brothers and sisters, yes, got what they deserved, but they stood there and scoffed and thought, well, that's what happens. What do you think is going to happen? When you act like that, when you treat people like this, and when you don't do this thing, you get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. That's what we tell our kids. It's good for kids to be told that sometimes, especially by their mentors and their parents. It's not good for grown people to tell one another that and to have no brokenness to say, I know these are just the natural consequences, but I'm here with you. I'm broken with you. You're not having to go through this alone. You may not have a lot of people you can count on, but you can count on me. Because I'm not going anywhere. The prophet Obadiah tells the Edomites, you were counted as one of their enemies in the day that you did nothing. You want to pull that forward into our lives. We are counted as one of those enemies to each other's souls when we do nothing to help each other. When we say, I'm just too busy, I got too much going on, I don't have time for that, I don't want to answer those questions. I don't want anybody that close to me. I certainly don't want to be that close to anybody else. And he says, It was your pride. You watched with a smirk. And then we move forward to Jesus' last night with his disciples, a night we call Maundy Thursday. Maundy, Latin for mandate or commandment. Because Jesus said, a new command I give to you. Not really all that new. But you see, I've stooped myself. I have humbled myself and I have served you by washing the filth from your feet. And I am your Lord and your teacher. You've been right in recognizing that. And look, as your teacher and as your Lord, I've washed the filth from your feet. Now look to one another. And know that 
That's whose feet you are to be washing. Look your brother in the eye and know you are called by me and given command by me to wash his feet. Pride is always is always the enemy of the soul. The chief, the king of sins. It was pride that kept Esau's descendants from helping their brothers and sisters in need. And it was pride that welled up in Peter when in the verses just prior to the ones we read in John 13, he said, Never, Lord, you will not wash my feet. I forbid it. I will not allow it. Peter's reply was, Unless I wash your feet, you have zero Part in me. This is it. This is over unless you allow me to stoop and wash the filth from your feet. See, Peter, whereas Edom was too prideful to serve. Peter was too prideful to be served. To make himself vulnerable. And to allow someone else to do what was needed in his life. And it is pride that will always keep us from joining the fellowship of the cross. It is pride that will convince us that we don't need that. We can do this ourselves. I've got this. I've got my Bible. I've got my prayer time. I keep a pretty decent journal. And I'm good. But pride always comes before the fall. And the fellowship of the cross is for those who know that they can fall and that they have fallen and that sometimes when they fall, they need another hand to reach down and say, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. We've got this. I'm like a bad rash. You'll never get rid of me. The only way pride can be destroyed is through crucifixion, is by the cross. The cross of Jesus can destroy our pride, and the cross of 
discipleship, the cross of our full and complete surrender. The cross that is the emblem of this fellowship. That is what can keep pride dead. And we need to appropriately and brokenly cry out to God and say, would you put to death in me what will kill my soul? And will you surround me by people who can help keep that put to death, Lord? As we sing and respond, I want to invite you to do a couple of things. I want to invite you to come forward and pray if you feel so led. If you sense God's Spirit saying you need to nail something down now, then this is a good place to come and do that and you'll be joined by someone up here. But the other thing I want to invite you to do is this week, perhaps this day, before you even leave the coffee and the tea and all the wonderful goodies to say, hey, I need I need what our pastor was talking about. I need somebody that can shoot straight with me and that can keep me straight. Could we perhaps start a band of brothers? Could we perhaps start a sect of sisters? Spirit, would you search us? Would you would you prick our hearts? Would you shine the blazing light of Jesus on us? And into the dark shadows of our lives. Would you give us the strength and the brokenness to respond as you see fit? For you know the will of the Father and you know the secrets of our hearts. Would you Please bring those together as you're so good at doing, Holy Spirit. Father, help us. Christ, help us and have mercy. Amen.